Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a shorter uh, episode of the Hooper's Almanac. Uh, I'm on vacation, so we decided we'd give me give us a little bit of a break here. But of course, it's the NBA Finals, and we had to give you guys a little bit of a recap. Uh, it we are recording this on Thursday, uh, June 9th, but Game Three just ended uh, on Wednesday, June 8th. We're going to do a little quick recap of the first three games, mostly focusing on Game Three. Uh, but we are going to be kind of focusing on just the ups and downs uh, that happened in game three, uh, the Celtics resurgence in the start of the game, followed by the, of course, the third quarter craziness of the Golden State Warriors, followed by the antics of Draymond Green uh, during and after the game. Uh, but we will get into that. But before we get going, here are our friends from Green Top. Welcome back to another episode of the Hoopers Almanac. Like I said in the intro, this is going to be a shorter one. We kind of have a, a lot of things going on. It is 9 o'clock here on the East Coast. Uh, for those who I am in Pennsylvania for the week with the family on our vacation, Aaron has made it back to Chicago, and Draymond Green is crying in a Boston uh, hotel room because he can't seem to get past the fact that fans in Boston are a little rude to him. But Nonetheless, we are well, we are in the midst and depth of the NBA Finals. Aaron Carter, what have we? How have we been doing? How how we've thought about the finals so far? It's weird being on the reverse side of this and having you ask me how I'm doing. So I'm doing great, <laughs> but I'm sure not as great as you're doing now, coming off of a Boston Celtics two-one lead in what was honestly a convincing Game Three win, despite a scare in the third quarter. Um, honestly, this was. Maybe game one was the most exciting finals game, but this was right there with it in terms of just the Warriors coming back in that third quarter. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow, like the Celtics looked dominant in that first half. It went exactly as you and I thought it was going to go. Them coming out with a vengeance after that game two letdown at home started right away with it, got out to an early 12-2 lead um, and then just carried that into the rest of the first half. But the third quarter, I was left thinking, are the Warriors actually going to come back and steal this game after the Boston Celtics played as well as they did in the first half? Um, and then the Celtics proved us proved us right and um, thinking they, they would win this game. So it was a lot of ups and downs in that game. It was very exciting. As I said, I think game one was the only better game so far, but really exciting final so far as I think we both thought it would be. Last night, the game three really reminded me of game four, the 2008 finals when the Celtics came back from down like 24 in the second half against the Lakers. And I remember that and I'm like, and it, it really brought me back to that. I was like, holy crap, are the Warriors going to win this thing? And then I thought to myself, wait, I've seen this happen. I've seen the Celtics blow leads in, in this year. Early on in the year, I would have actually cried about it. But now we're, we've, we've hit the resurgence Celtics. And I, I knew going to the fourth quarter, I'm like, we're fine. We got guys named Jason Taylor and Jalen Brown on our team. We're totally fine. Plus Draymond Green was all up in his antics, which we'll get to later on. But I mean, honestly, I, you hit it the nail on the head. I was very confident and very happy with how the first half went. Um, Jalen Brown came up firing. I mean, 21 points or in, in that first quarter, 17 points in that first quarter, which is crazy. Um, and it's what we needed uh, clearly because Jason Tatum wasn't hitting anything. He only had three points in the first quarter. So it was just, it was a crazy start to the game followed by, I mean, what we've seen throughout this finals, uh, third quarter go off by the Warriors, which they have blown out the Celtics in every third quarter of this finals, followed by the Celtics coming back and kind of finding themselves in that fourth quarter. 
it's been really weird. But what I've loved is just how much the Celtics haven't had to focus on Jason Tatum scoring as much as they've really have, as much as they've had to in the past playoffs. Uh, not not so much this playoffs because we've seen how much Jason Tatum has been able to facilitate facilitate the ball, be a much better playmaker. And last night, my theory comes true again: three guys over twenty points and the Celtics win, baby. Also, first first trio of Smart Tatum and Brown to be the first trio to have twenty five and five since nineteen eighty four with Cooper, Kareem, and Magic. That is wild. That's that. that is incredible company. But that was one thing that really stood out to me. Uh, and before they even put it up on ESPN, I was already doing digging. I was like, when was the last time this ever happened? Because I I was thinking it could have been like the late 80s, uh, late 80s um, Celtics teams with like Parrish and McHale or like uh, Dennis Johnson, McHale and Bird. But then it was even a little bit or even a little bit earlier whenever it was uh, just Magic, Cooper and uh, Kareem. So that was wild grouping. But it was it was a great, great game three for sure. And it makes me excited for when this comes out, it'll be coming out on today on game four will be today, whenever this comes out, but it's exciting stuff. And I'm, I, I think this has been a very fun series before minus game two, which was a, dist- a terrible game. Yeah. And I think it's, this is a particularly intriguing series and playoffs for me in general. I mean, we've talked about it in the past of there being so many blowouts in the Eastern conference finals, and Western conference finals, as well as just some series in round two, um, but generally I've really enjoyed this playoffs. I mean, I was actually inter- interchanging with Davis, uh, McCondishy, who's a former Mojo or uh, not Mojo rather METV guy, uh, yeah. with us at Mizzou Mitch. And that was interesting. I haven't thought of Davis in a long time. I forgot I even followed him. <laughs> he was talking about how exciting, uh, the NBA playoffs were and how it was sort of giving him, you know, sentimental vibes of old basketball times. And I think there's a lot of different storylines, um, that have been intriguing throughout the playoffs, but this one in particular, the Warriors who are this well-known team juggernaut have been to, uh, you know, six finals in eight years. Uh, they're sort of at the end of their era though. And in that dynasty and the Celtics have been on the brink going to many Eastern conference finals, but never getting over the hump until now. And possibly is this a passing of the torch to a new dynasty um, and the Celtics are at least a team that will contend year after year. So I think that in itself is a really interesting storyline. And obviously so many young guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, to see them come uh, to the forefront and become stars at this level is also super exciting. So I think this has been a great final so far. And obviously if the Warriors take game four, it's going to get a lot more interesting. Uh, I personally like the Celtics in that game, but I could see it going either way. I mean, the story of these playoffs and the story of the Boston Celtics outside of the net series has really been this back and forth situation. They win one game and then all of a sudden they have a letdown. They win the next one more often than not. Um, I don't know why that is. I mean, they're very resilient, but at some point they got to win two in a row in a big spot like this. The craziest stat I'll have. I mean, we've always, everyone's talked for days on end about this Celtics turnaround since whatever day it was in January the craziest stat that I have, I mean, that I know is the fact that they've only lost back to game, back to back games once. And it was during like a, in the game they lost the second time was when they sat guys during the near the end of the year. So I'm not worried about it, I think. But I do agree with you. This this has been a theme for the Celtics during this playoffs. Uh, this constant like back and forth action until the end of the series when Boston's like, oh, maybe we should start trying now. And like, we may not have All to right. lose, not have to go back and forth like they did in the Milwaukee series. I 
I'm with you because I truly I think this finals has kind of shown in the importance of that home court advantage and how like they fought a lot with it. I mean, in the, in the conference finals, in this conference semifinals with Milwaukee, but those are also two give Miami enough crap about it, but we, these have been, those are two good home court advantage teams. And we saw how good Boston could still play on the road. I still think if they can win game four at home, it puts them in a great advantage to win them, win the finals back home in game six. I I'm, Coming back to my take originally about how this is how it's supposed to go for the Celtics. You win three of the first four, you're going to end up losing game five in San Francisco, but you're going to come back. You're going to come back to uh, Boston and win it all in game six. And that's how it's going to all supposed to end. But then again, knowing my karma, knowing my luck, they could all, it's all going to change up in three different ways. And we'll see how that goes. Well, that's the weird thing is because the Celtics to this point, despite how incredible the home court environment has been in Boston, they haven't been a knockout team at home. Now the Warriors on the other hand, haven't lost a game at home in the playoffs, except for that Boston Celtics game one in the NBA finals. They've been fantastic. Every single loss they've had on the road outside of that game has been on the road. And so when you're thinking about the Celtics, I mean, they lost huge games to the bucks at home. Almost that entire series, both teams were winning on the road. I mean, you had game one loss at home for the Celtics, a game five loss for the Celtics, where then they had to come back and win game six and seven. And then for Miami, you had a game three loss uh, and game six loss at home. Uh, And both of those were crucial, crucial games as well. A closeout game opportunity in game six that they choked away. And so I'm thinking here, the Celtics get a little bit complacent here I I'd like to think not since it's the NBA final stage but except for that net series I mean they've kind of fucked around a little bit in some of these series um and I'm not not 100% confident that they come out uh with more more attitude here in game four than the Warriors do with their backs against the wall so I'm not the type – wait, no, I actually am this type of guy. I'm the type of guy to blame refs for a lot of different things. Here um, we go. Here we go. So we'll except go back for, to this. Except for that one guy. Who, who's that one guy you were – Oh, uh, Curtis Blair. Curtis Blair. Curtis Blair. He has my, he has my, <laughs> he has my apologies. He has my, my sorries and my, I, my thoughts go out to him every day. I, I, I apologize to him uh, vehemently, way too much. Uh, Eric Lewis and Zach Zarba can go lick one and I could, I could literally never hear about them ever again. And I'd be a happy man because that's what happened in game three against the heat. We had the Zach Zarba show once again. And then game six was Eric Lewis deciding I'm going to take over and be the next Zach Zarba, except I'm like, he literally looked, I, I was telling my brother this, and maybe I told you this, and maybe I said this on the pod. He just looks like the African-American version of the head chef from Ratatouille. That is exactly who he looks like. <laughs> he just looks like I, and it, it just sounds so bad, but it, it exactly who he looks like to me. And he has that kind of control. So that's all for Eric Lewis. But that's what game two was uh, for the Warriors Celtics series. It was the Zach Zarba, Tony Brothers show. And I hate that. And everyone... And Celtics, here's the deal about this play about this final so far is we've seen both fan bases already whine and bitch and complain this entire uh, already, but on both sides. Oh. Game game two, we saw the Celtics do it. Game one was the best. We've seen both fan bases like uh seeing, I mean, after game one, everyone was happy with how it went. Refing was great. We had great, just great back and forth. We saw it. Curry go off for 21 in the first in the first quarter, followed by just a great Celtics comeback throughout the rest of the game. It was great. Then everything went to shit in game two, and everything just went downhill after that because everything 
from Zach Zarba to then the Scott Foster quote unquote 12 and 0 record for the Celtics. I need everyone to actually do research for the love of God. Can you please never do that again? I don't need I don't need Golden State Warriors Reddit just losing their minds over there. God, that was the most annoying thing because then I had Warriors fans texting me. That's just bull crap. That's just not even true anyways. I'm like, then why are people just reading misinformation? Then we have fake news again. We don't need to go into that. Whole point of the story is this. I need everyone to get reeled back in in game four. I need the good refs coming back in game four. Um, I don't know. I haven't, we won't find out until tomorrow who the refs are. And that absolutely pisses me off because I'm probably going to get stuck with James Capers and just going to have to deal with that man again, or Eric Lewis. I'm probably going to get screwed with Eric Lewis in Boston. That's possibly how it's just it's all going to go over. But either way, anyways, I just need game one to happen again. I need game one to happen. Just that same kind of environment, same kind of energy from the crowd, same kind of refereeing. So it doesn't feel like the NBA is rigging it, even though I can completely feel the rigging happening. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting officiated game because I think obviously the most targeted player, two guys got into foul trouble for Golden State. Draymond fouled out and Steph was in foul trouble early and that affected his minutes in that second quarter, I believe. Um, mainly, but he, he ended up playing through a lot of that, but he was right. still in foul trouble throughout the game. Uh, and the Celtics did a fairly decent job. I mean, there were some makeup calls when momentum looked like the Celtics were just going to put it on ice and that allowed the Warriors to stay back in it. But largely, I thought it was a decently fair, fairly called game. I mean, in particular, if we want to shout out referees, Courtney Kirkland, uh, the ref who Draymond was screaming blood Marriott in his face, who called the sixth foul on him, uh, easily could have been teed up. But twice. I, love it. I, I had the fact that he wasn't teed up twice during that. It was just miraculous. But I love that he wasn't because, one, the ref is just like, he's already fouled out. Like, who cares? This is Draymond. Don't even give him the time of day. And Draymond clearly wanted the tech. Like, that makes him happy. He, like, wanted some sort of uh, validation uh, or attention. Like, and he just didn't give it to him, which I was all about. And then he's left in the press conference trying to explain why he played like shit um, and swearing in front of his kid when Clay's talking about swearing in front of kids for Boston fans, which is hilariously ironic. Um, but shout out to Courtney Kirkland. Courtney Kirkland. Um, Real one right there. He was, I mean, to not tee up Draymond and to have the patience there in a finals game is huge. So shout out to him. Okay. So quickly do research on this because I can't do this in the Pocono mountains over here. Is it five or six technicals in a playoffs when you get like suspended for a game? Because we saw that happen whenever Draymond got suspended during the the crazy 3-1 comeback by the, uh, by the Cavs back in 2016. So I need to know if it's six, it's six uh, technicals or seven, seven. Oh, well, ignore me then. Okay. Cause he's at four technicals right now in this playoffs. So I yeah. wonder, I was wondering if it was five and that's why they weren't giving him the T because they're like, we don't want to suspend him. but never mind. Then I thought it was, I don't know why I thought it was five or six, but green has been whistled for four technical fouls through 18 postseason games. This was as right. of two days ago uh, before game three. So that would have been five. Right. And that's what I was, and that's what made me think that they were only to do five. And then, okay, that makes sense now because I remembered this is how bad I was 2019. I remembered Pat Bev was going to, I, in that for in the Clippers Warriors round one series of 2019, 
I remember I wanted Pat Bev to get under uh, Katie's skin so badly to see if he can get four technical fouls out of him. So that way we could get only have to worry about three more technical fouls for the rest of the playoffs. Didn't matter. Warriors lost to the Raptors in that finals, but <laughs> I don't know why that why why I'm now just remembering that. But okay, seven technical fouls. Okay, so yeah. it doesn't matter. He can't get. T- he's not going to get. I mean, suspended. unlikely. I mean, but he could get two right in the same game, and then all of a sudden you're back in business. Um, it could happen. That would suck because you know what's going to happen is then it's going to. It is an it, excuse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I I think Draymond Green is an incredibly important player when he's playing correctly for that team. Like, not like Steph last Curry, night. obviously unlocks everything they do, uh, and he makes Draymond an actual serviceable offensive player now. But Draymond is still a great passer. He knows the offense. He puts people in the right spots. He sets mostly illegal screens, but they're effective. And <laughs> he's a very good off-ball defender with great instincts. At this point, we've seen Jalen Brown kind of cook him on ball when he's guarding him one-on-one in the perimeter and driving. Uh, he just doesn't have that great foot speed at, at his age now. But we, we've seen him play great – great plays in the ball when it came to that block on Jalen possession before um, steals, you know, just general defensive awareness is up there with anybody. So he still has value, but in this series, he's been terrible. I mean, it's really frustrating to see him do one good thing, like make a free throw or have one block. And all of a sudden he's screaming in somebody's face. Like he drops, drop 50. And it's like, man, like have some awareness. Like you are having a terrible game. You have more fouls than any other stat in your box score. Like, come on, man. Just question because I, I, I we talk so I already texted you off off air about this. So we we both would rather have Al Horford than Draymond Green, right? I th- I think so, but I'm not sure. Okay, then that answers. I, I mean, next, I mean that answers my next question because my next question would be: Would you rather have Grant Williams or Draymond Green right now? Draymond Green. Okay, that that, that I I knew I was being and I I was gonna say Draymond too. But just how much crap Grant has given Draymond just in this it's been great just to see someone else try to get under Draymond's skin. And it's been such an like I love Grant, but he's not an important like top, he's not gonna be closing out a lineup for us by any means. It's gonna be someone else. Um, but yeah, that was just wild yeah. to me. I mean, I, the only difference to me is I mean, Al's a lot more mobile. He's really mobile right now for I mean, he's in great shape. For but a 37 year old Al. It's Horford, a scoring. Yeah. It's a scoring. That's literally it. And when you can give you 25 in a crucial game, like you did against the Bucks or the Heat, um, Draymond just can't do that. Like, I will bet everything I own that Draymond will not score more than 20 points in a single game in the rest of this finals. Like, it's not going to happen. It hasn't happened all playoffs. I don't even know if he scored over 20 all season. I probably don't. I don't think he has. Um, like, it's just, it's just not his game anymore. Not that it ever was. So I was I was gonna say, yeah, probably never was <laughs> but at least a little bit more. Like he could give you a drive, he could maybe hit a three. Like now he can't even hit a three ever. Like sometimes in, in those crucial Warriors years with KD, even before KD was there, like he would every once in a while hit a big three. Um, that would just be the backbreaker. He just can't do that anymore for some reason. So um, yeah, Draymond's a very interesting player, but honestly, he wasn't even the story for me. I looked at the entire Celtics roster, and I didn't see a single player who played poorly. Um, specifically, the guy I was most impressed by in that game was Rob Williams. My man. My my guy. I was I was doubting him coming into that game. He did not look good in game two. It looked like he maybe re-injured his knee. He was down on the ground for a while. Actually, Ime Adoka left him in, surprisingly, in game two. Um, 
maybe that was helpful for him just mentally, but he looked healthy. He was moving around very well, especially in that fourth quarter. You texted us. He's about to come out for Al Horford. He stayed in the rest of the fourth quarter yes, sir. Uh, for the important minutes, at least, because um, he was playing so well. I mean, what do you have? Uh, seven points, nine boards, four blocks. Um and three steals. Don't forget the three steals. And there yeah, were like two two steals. big steals like in the second half, which were like momentum stoppers. And one was like one of those, his classic, like I tipped it and I'm going to tip it again. <laughs> like he does with his rebounds. He's like, I'm going to tip it and tip it the right way though. And it's, 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 it's incredible what he can do with just a fingertip to the ball. And is, I mean, plus minus is you have to take it with a grain of salt in some games, but the fact that he played fewer minutes than every single starter and had the highest plus minus says something. He had a plus 21 for the 26 minutes he was in. Pretty crazy, especially in that fourth quarter. He was incredibly effective on both ends. I mean, he had like two, as you said, those crucial steals were huge. Um, So he was super impressive. I mean, if he plays like that, the Celtics, uh, there's just no match uh, the Warriors have. And this was one point I wanted to run by you, Mitch, and why I think the Celtics are going to win this series, uh, regardless of the outcome of game four. No team is perfect but it feels like the Warriors are unable to counter the Celtics' strengths, which is their size and athleticism with their yep. current roster, whereas the Celtics are able to at least counter, maybe not shut down, but counter and slow down the Warriors' strengths, which is shooting, uh, at, you know, ball, ball savvy, just veteran, all this other stuff that they're great at, just by pure defensive effort, great contest, great length, like, Physically, the Warriors just don't have bodies to throw at them that they want out there. Like they could throw Kaminga, they could throw the Moses Moody's of the world, but they're just not experienced enough to be put out there now. So I don't know. That's my take. What do you think about that? I definitely agree. What is apparent to me in these finals is that when you have the differences of the starting lineups for both teams, and which was the closing lineup minus. Kevon Looney for the Warriors last night, it was Otto Porter instead, but it gave the Celtics more size in that matter. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is this, when you have the starting lineups for both these teams and they're closing out games, there is one big difference for both of these teams. And it's been talked about over and over again. It's the amount of shooters that are on the floor for both teams. It's the amount of times that you can count on Al Horford to hit a corner three when you can't count on Draymond to do it, like we've talked about already in this podcast. It's the ability to know to the fact, hey, I can throw, I can have Al Horford throw a fake a jump shot and still drive to the rim and then throw up a lob to, to Rob if I need to, which they did last night. It was a great pass and it was incredible. The Celtics have four to five different guys who can create plays. We saw Rob Williams have a lot of great passes last night, and that's and very underrated skill of his. He's a very good passer as like a big man who it's just not very noticed because he's surrounded by this year, four great passers, which has been great for the Celtics team. That's what's the difference in this for both these teams. Andrew Wiggins gets very like um, tunnel vision whenever he sometimes has the ball. He isn't always looking to pass. Kevon Looney can't pass. He just, he's just sitting under the rim and hoping to get a layup, which Evan, my brother got lucky that that, that was the, First bucket of the game last night, won money on that. Wild stuff. Wild stuff. We love being in Pennsylvania to bet. Um, but the other thing is this. It's just the fact that I can trust in the Celtics closing five more than I can trust in the Warriors closing five. And that's what it comes down to at the end of these games. And that's why, when I'm going to get into this now, I don't think we should call it a blowout when it's less than 15 and it was a, like a six-point game with three, with two, three minutes to go. 
I don't think you can call that a blowout. I and I think when it's less than 15 points, game two was a blowout. Game two was an absolute blowout. Should not even yep. be talked about. But game one and three were close games coming down to the end of it. And then three minutes to go, guess who comes up big? It's the closing lineup for the Celtics because they're more rested. They're more prepared to know what's going on in these games. And they just happen to pull away at the end. I don't think you can call that a blowout. But I've seen a bunch of people say, oh, this has been a finals of blowouts. It's been <laughs> game one was a blowout. And I'm like, no, it was a 12-point win. Game two absolutely was a blowout. But game three was not a blowout either. It was a close game. Game first half was a great first half. Warriors brought it back in the second quarter, decided to go on a run of a lifetime in the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter, Celtics brought it back and then was not a blowout. I don't think you can call that a blowout, but tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It didn't, I mean, the first half felt like a blowout. First half definitely felt like a blowout. And then the second, then the second quarter, late second quarter, Warriors brought it back in. Yeah, um, that's for sure. I would say every single third quarter in this series has been a blowout. The, I think it's plus 44 right now for the Warriors in third quarters. Something um, horrific. That was just mental math there from looking at box scores. So don't uh, bet your money on that being correct, but it's pretty much correct. Um, just bet on the fact that the Warriors are going to win the third quarter. That's just what you have to do. Yeah, which we did, which we, which you're welcome if you followed that. You probably didn't because it was live and it was just instantaneous. But, hey, it happened uh, and it worked. So we'll take it. But I agree. Um, I wouldn't classify that as a blot. I would say the only game – like you said, the blood is, is game two. One thing I was sharing with you on off air as well, before we recorded is I think the classification of a blowout changes based on the context of the game, Absolutely. meaning a playoff game, particularly a finals game, you know, uh, generally I would say a 15 plus point game is more than likely a blowout in an NBA finals and a regular season game. That's just another Tuesday. Uh, you need to blow somebody out by 30 points to be, you know, considered a, r- a real route uh, in the regular season. So I would say if you look at the number itself, 16 point win. Wow. I mean, and especially the way that first half go- went. Yeah, uh, sure. But I don't think it tells the story of the game. I mean, the Warriors are right in that until the Celtics just rolled them over in the fourth quarter. So I, I-, I don't think it- you could classify it as a blowout. Perfect. Okay, that's just all I wanted to clarify because I just I'm tired of people calling them blowouts because they're they're not blowouts. We've seen it throughout the playoffs. Absolutely, we've seen blowouts. We've seen the 50 point Grizzlies went over the Warriors. That was a blowout. That was a that double was blowout. blowout. That was horrific to watch. For and I I I if why aren't we whining and complaining about those kind of games, dear Lord Warriors fans. Anyways, point being this not a blowout. But Aaron, we look forward. We look towards Game Four. We look towards the fact that tomorrow, today, when this is getting posted, Game Four is happening. This Friday, it's going to be happening at, God forbid, nine o'clock Eastern. I'm going to have to watch it at nine o'clock Eastern in probably my least favorite town, Philadelphia. Gosh, it's going to suck, and Evan's going to want to go to a Sixers sports bar, and I'm going to have to. I didn't bring any Celtics gear. I did not bring any Celtics gear for my own mental health and physical health. But we're talking about game four. What's our prediction? What are we feeling? How we? What do we think is going to go down before we go into game five, which is Monday um, next week? But what do we think about game four on Friday? As soon as the game ended, I'm like, Celtics are taking game four. I mean, interesting. As 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 soon as the game three ended, that's what I texted you and Evan. Uh, yeah, that was my instant thought. The way the crowd was, and I was like, man, that was on a Wednesday. All right, we're coming down Friday. Crowd's going to be drunker. Uh, <laughs> they don't have work tomorrow. Uh, nine gonna... o'clock, nine o'clock games in Boston are yeah. wild shit. Going to be, uh, there'll be even more F-bombs. So maybe kids don't come to the game, just stay in the gift shop. Um, 
But I, I like I like the Celtics, man. I think the Warriors will play better. Uh, I mean, but that being said, Clay had a fantastic game, and I'm not confident at all in Clay stringing together two consecutive good games. He hasn't really done that at all in the playoffs, except for the closeout game is against uh, the Grizzlies, um, and he played pretty well in the end of that Mavs series as well. But I think he could have a shit game, and I mean, he had 25 for them last game and was really the only force keeping them in that ball game in the first half. And then Curry really took off in the third quarter. Also another thing that I'm not confident the Warriors about is just Jordan Poole is playing terrible, particularly on the road. Um, he has not yep. been good. And I mean, that's a tough environment. I know he's the second year player, but to be on this stage, it's just, it's a tough learning experience. He's a very talented player, no doubt, but I don't have full trust in him being the Jordan Poole that the Warriors have relied upon all the year. I mean, they right. were having him start and be the number one creator at some times during the regular season. And that's just not going to happen. Like uh, it's not going to happen now. He's not being asked to do that. Steve Kerr is sort of relying on his veterans a bit more at this stage, which makes sense. Um, so I just think at some point, as, as I said earlier, the Warriors just don't have a counter for the Celtics size and athleticism if the Celtics are playing well. So I, I like the Celtics uh, to win and probably win by more than five points. So I agree. My other thing is this. We'll go back to the Pula thing. Pula has not looked good when a guy named Peyton Pritchard is on him, and that just is <laughs> never good. When my f- – love my boy Peyton Pritchard, who is leading this entire series in plus minus at plus 22. That is my fa- also one of my favorite stats right now. Um, but the fact that Jordan Poole can't – it, that, that's so we've had the Draymond Green and Grant Williams like kind of semi rivalry, and we've had the the Jordan Poole and, and Peyton Pritchard rivalry going on like just in the background. If you watched Game One and Game Two in Golden State, it was hilarious because Poole kept trying to talk crap at Pritchard, but Pritchard kept just drilling threes over him, and it was hilarious. That's what we need. And Pritchard had an incredible Game One where he had like five key rebounds, and it was incredible. That has been that if you can't beat Peyton Pritchard off the ball, that's just terrible. That's that's the sign of a great defense that you're going up against, and that's the sign of the difference between a regular season and the postseason. All that being said, I think Celtics win game game four, and I think we finally see the Jason Tatum game. We've seen the glimpses of it. We've seen these terrible, inefficient shooting nights. That's what game three was. Game game one wasn't great at all for him, but he had a great passing game. Game one and game three, great passing games, and the fact I don't where. Games where he has more assists than turnovers, which this definitely makes sense. They're undefeated this playoffs, but games where they've where he's had more turnovers than playoff and then uh, than assists, they've lost every game but one. So that's that's the mentality he has to have is just to be smarter with the ball and then also just to finally get going because you talked about it last night. We were texting about it. He wasn't finishing at the rim as he usually is, which was just very weird to us. But I think tomorrow night, Friday night is the night we finally see the Jason Tatum game. And he kind of solidifies himself as this difference maker and probably earns himself the MVP tomorrow night. But I'm not foreshadowing anything because probably he's going to now go for 12 points and two and 16 turnovers. I mean, Jalen Brown, you could, you could make a case for that too. Um, oh, true. Cause he's, I mean, the way he started these games, <laughs> like every single game, he's been a rock star right off the bat in the first, Absolutely. In the first quarter. And he's carried them for stretches when Tatum hasn't shot it well. But, I mean, Tatum, you could say, has just been so influential when it comes to passing, especially in games one and games two. Um, 
But um, I mean, you, yeah, you totally hit the nail on the head. I mean, he didn't shoot it great yesterday. I um, mean, he still ended up with a decent stat line, obviously, 26, 6, right. and 9 in, a, in an NBA playoff game is really good. Uh, but he wasn't finishing at the rim, which is kind of odd. I know that shoulder stinger was bothering him a bit. My thought is that affects your shot more than your finishing ability. He did have a big finish late. So I think that's just something he's going to – Ime is probably talking to him about. The coaching staff is talking to him about. Um, and that's something he's going to get figured out. So uh, I com- I completely Open. agree. I completely agree with that take. I think the other read for this game for me, it's, it's going to be a lot more defensive focused. Uh, I mean, it was a blitz offensively for the Celtics in the first half, 60-plus points. Um, and I just think, you know, I think the Warriors particularly are going to come out and be a lot more physical on defense and the Celtics always are. So I could see it being a lower scoring affair um, and pretty tight down the stretch, but the Celtics pull away late. Do you think the Curry ankle injury plays any factor into it? I mean, so we've seen, he said that it was a similar injury to what happened previously with Marcus smart. Um, and, but he's going to play regardless. I mean, I think there's some theater involved in all of this with really uh, you NBA don't think with, Sto- with the Golden State Warriors, you don't think that happens. So, uh, I mean, if it does, that's fine. I don't think it should be used as an excuse at all. If he's out there, he's out there. Um, I, I mean, I think the Celtics are the better team anyways. So, I mean, if he's not hundred percent though, the, the Warriors are going to have a tough sledding. That's for sure. So it, it does affect the game. We'll, we'll see how good he is, which is another reason to back the Celtics. Like, I wouldn't want to be putting my money on the Warriors wondering how healthy Steph Curry is going to be. Um, Even the question mark at this point is is worrisome. The final thing for Celtics adjustments, Al Horford, whenever here's the simple pick and roll defense against Steph Curry, whenever he's coming off a pick, step up on the man. Can you not let him just dribble into a three-point shot? Is that too much to ask for? You're giving him three feet already to just take a three-point shot. That was the most frustrating thing. I was like, holy crap, is Rob Williams going to play better pick-and-roll defense than Al Horford? Who would have guessed? Not I, but whatever. Well, Smart was mic'd up in game one. He was saying it. Like, we can't drop instantly. We got to start up and then drop back. And the Celtics generally do it really well. It's just they have lapses during the game for, like, a two-minute stretch. And then you see the Warriors go on a 7-0 run in 38 seconds. You're like, what the hell just happened? Like, the Celtics just had this game by the balls and all of a sudden the Warriors are right back in it, or they have a seven point possession. Like there's just shit like that where the Celtics show their youth, which is understandable. Um, but right. it's, it's obviously for you as a Celtics fan, <laughs> I can imagine that's, that's very frustrating, but generally I think they've done a good job uh, since, since early in game one. Absolutely. And that's totally right. What I'll say about the game one is there's a reason why we don't play Daniel Tice anymore. There's the exact <laughs> reason why we don't play Daniel Tice anymore. I'd rather play Luke Cornett. Holy crap, I'd rather play Luke <laughs> Cornett right now. I'd rather just not play anyone. I'd rather play four guys than play Daniel Tice. I mean, it's just so bad because he's a great regular season guy to have come off the bench. But my God, in these games, it's just so infuriating because I'm like, yeah, this is when the Warriors are going to just drop four, you go 14 and three on us over the next like two minutes. And it's just not going to be fun. It's just not going to be fun. I was watching Cornett and, uh, at the end of the game, garbage time uh, the other day. And he actually looks relatively mobile, at least more mobile than he did at Vandy. I was courtside when he was still there and he was a hot shot at Vandy playing the oh, zoo. Yeah. And he was so unathletic. And 
he was a pretty decent shooter, but he looks a lot better now, honestly, even just from like the two seconds I saw him, he got a dunk. <laughs> so go Luke. I, I'd love to see him out there. <laughs> it, he's just basically a four inches taller version of Daniel Tice. And I just, I, <laughs> and he, at least the difference is Daniel Tice might be a little bit stronger, but Dan, dang Luke Cornette actually, Luke Cornette actually won't get three fouls called him in three minutes. So that's the other difference into it all. But one um, question, one question to close us out, Mitch. Uh, this yeah. is something I've been thinking about, which I know you're going to enjoy. And we don't have to boil the ocean here on this podcast. Maybe this can be a post-finals thing. But I was thinking about both these teams and comparing them to past NBA Finals teams and champions. Oh, yeah, these bring up teams, this list. <laughs> these two teams are extremely flawed, both of them. Like, I'm going to argue that this is the most flawed champions since the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. I okay before you whoever uh, it two, is 2019 Raptors. I that's still my most flawed recent champion. You had two. I mean, you had yes. one. You had one go-to score. That's my only thing about that Raptors team. But go on. Yes, that would be. Sorry, my second I interrupted you. I interrupted you. No, you're good. That would be my second pick. I, I okay. I paused looking at the past NBA Finals champions at 2019, and my eyes kept going to 2011 because <laughs> I think that's the better answer. Because yes, they only had one score. But you look at that roster, it's stacked with just guys you want on your team in that situation. And yes, there were flaws, but I don't think it was as flawed as that 2011 team, uh, 2011 Mavs team. I mean, kid could barely move. He was super, <laughs> I mean, super important to that team. Tyson Chandler was at the end of his career. Dirk was, you know, still really, really good. Uh, but it wasn't even like prime Dirk at that point. Um, and then he had some shooting around him. But generally, that team was just super cohesive and experience with one another. And that's why they beat the young heat team in their first year together. That was, I mean, if they would have gotten him in year two, Dirk said it himself. Like, I don't think we would have beat that team. So I think whoever comes out of this finals is going to be the most flawed champion since then you could make the case for 2019, but I'm just astounded looking at these two teams and thinking, man, like they had some breaks fall their way to get here. I think the Celtics are deserving of winning a title, no doubt, but they still have a lot of flaws uh, on this team that I notice every single game. All right, so we're sticking with just flawed champions, not just flawed finals teams, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can you can throw a finals team out there and eat, you know. The right, I mean, I'm you know. thinking like, yeah, the magic of 2009 when they didn't even have Jameer Nelson and they were starting Rafer Alston because Nelson was hurt. <laughs> Sixers um, with AI, like. That Sixers team was just ridiculous. They shouldn't even have made it. That was the that Milwaukee Bucks team of 2001 should have made it over them with Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson. Cavs um, 2007. I mean, yeah, there are tons of teams who have yeah. made it, gotten blown out. But I'm thinking champions because whoever yeah. wins this, obviously, there's going to be a winner out of these two teams, and I think they're both really flawed. The difference between the Celtics team being a flawed team, they have a top three defense of this of the century. That's what makes that's what's the difference of this Celtics team. Um, the Mavs team that won in 2011, they had defensive player of the year in Tyson Chandler. They, they had old and dusty semen version of Jason Kidd and they had Pedro Stoyakovich who was literally running on one leg. They had Deshaun Stevenson, who his only job was just to continue to piss off LeBron James. They had Sean Marion, who was just somewhere in his career, but somehow ended up on Dallas. And then. And Terry was there. JJ Barea was for some reason mocking up LeBron James like he was Kawhi Leonard. I mean, pre him. So it was just that was a whole weird series. I will say Karan that Butler, Karan Butler. Thank you. That was the other guy. I was, the other wing I was missing. Um, 
the 2011 Mavs and the 2019 Raptors are the two most flawed teams of the 20, of the two most flawed champions. Yep. Hold on. Maybe the Pistons, like of one of the Pistons teams, not the not the team that beat the. Oh, you were going Lakers. since the 21st century. Yeah, now I'm now I'm going to 21st century. Not the team that beat the Lakers, but the team. Did they beat the Spurs one year? They had to have beat. No, they didn't beat the Spurs. Did they just win one against the? Did they just beat the beat the Lakers that one year and that was it? I think they lost to the they Spurs. Lost to the, I know they lost to the Spurs. I think they might have just won one. That team wasn't flawed. They were good. So, yeah, the only two teams that were completely, quote-unquote, flawed of the 21st centuries to win would be that 2011's Mavericks and the 2019 Raptors. Either way, they both were the, – the difference why they won those championships was they had chemistry, plus the 2019 Warriors team just had so many injuries. So, we just, like, kind of mm-hmm. almost let that go by the wayside in that That's point. That's a fair but point. The other thing – but I do agree that this both these teams have flaws uh, if they were to win the – difference between the 2010 century was we saw so many indestructible teams that we kind of forget about the 20 the early the 2000s teams because i could go diving in and i could tell you about a bunch of flaws that the 2008 seven 2007 eight celtics team had and that still bothers me to this day why we didn't go small more than we did um but that's another thing but i do agree that these teams have flaws the difference though is the celtics is a top three defense that we've had seen in this in this set in the 21st century so that's the only difference that I have with that kind of idea. No, it's a great, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. I think the Celtics have fewer flaws, but I, I still think the Celtics half court offense um, has moments deep. where I want to blow my, I want to pull my eyes out. Uh, yeah. Uh, how they respond in, and can't string together two games sometimes uh, is just like a youth flaw. Um, but I think my, my point being is, I think this is really interesting finals for that reason. And that's what makes Absolutely. it so compelling. And I think the years to come as an NBA fan, hold on to your seat. Cause I think it's going to be hard to find a, a perfect team like we had in, in the golden state warriors or even the Cavaliers for a stretch there, the, the Lakers or the Spurs um, previously in, in the 21st century. I mean, you could argue the bucks and the Celtics are maybe best positioned to, to do that in the next couple of years, but I just think there are so many young teams that are talented and could win a championship in any given year. It's going to be uber competitive. The talent's only getting better and diversified. So that's my point is I think we're going to continue seeing this. I don't know when we'll see the next dynasty. Man, Aaron, I don't know. Maybe the Utah Jazz, they seem pretty unflawed. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We don't even need to go into the fact that they just lost Quinn Snyder out of nowhere, but we, we won't even get into that. But this has been our games one through three recap uh, like we said, we kind of wanted to keep this one short, uh, but uh, we will try to be, we're going to try to put it out an episode sometime early next week uh, just to give you maybe a little recap after game four, if not that game five. But this has been fun. Um, I'm going to go back to my vacation time now, uh, but you can follow us on Twitter at Hooper's Almanac. You can also reach out to us at hoopers.almanac at gmail.com if you guys have any thoughts or concerns. Please tell me if you're trying to find, if you're listening to this not on Spotify, I just need to know now. But we'll get into that later. Have a great week, rest of your week, guys. Go Celtics in game four, and I'm going to try not to get killed in Philly. Have a good one, guys. <laughs> <laughs>